hello, welcome. I'm doing announcements today. We've got two of them. Um, so the first one is Spring Showcase. So I was asked to have everyone who has bought a ticket stand so that those who are selling tickets can know. All right, cool. So I wanted to share a quick story kind of related to this. Um, Shayla and I, Shayla works for Focus, if you don't know, and she and I went and met with some of my friends who live kind of in the middle of nowhere and have also been her supporters in the past. And they really wanted to understand how Focus works. And so we ended up spending about an hour and a half like writing out, like explaining it to them. And one of them was taking bullet point notes and one of them was like drawing diagrams of like how it's structured and what a week in, in Shayla's life looks like. And to us, we were just kind of explaining like the weekly grind and we weren't thinking it was anything very special. Um, but by the end of it, they were like, man, that is amazing. I'm just so thankful that there are people on college campuses reaching out to these young kids who need it. And it, all of a sudden, it felt like we were like missionaries from a foreign land reporting on what God is doing on college campuses and DFW because neither of them have been to college and they don't know anything about it. So after we finally communicated everything, they saw how meaningful it was, and it kind of reminded us of how meaningful it was. And so this spring showcase supports sending students to Sikkim, which is a lot of S's. <laughs> and uh, so it's a core part of how Focus functions. And so if anyone approaches you about buying a ticket to go to this, um, you know, it's a great opportunity. So keep that in mind. So next announcement. So the All Church Women's Retreat. Pretty much all the information is right there. So talk to Leslie if you want more info. Uh, March 20th to 22nd. All right. Okay, so today is the last day to sign up. We need to sign up today. <laughs> I won't rephrase anything. Um, okay, yeah, that's all for announcements. And there's another order of business that I'm going to talk about. So when it rains, it pours. Um, so every now and then we'll have someone share about workplace ministry. And I was kind of reflecting on that and realized that I had some things I can share about it. So I work for a small company here in Denton. And I kind of, when I got hired on, I was like, okay, man, I really want to um, minister to my coworkers and be a light to them and stuff like that. And little did I know that I was getting enfolded into this group of really mature, exemplary Christians. Um, and I've learned a lot from them. I think probably a lot more than they've learned from me about how to do workplace ministry. And some of them I kind of look up to as mentors and uh, will ask about life situations or theological questions and stuff like that. And so I've had a really neat opportunity, kind of a rare opportunity to uh, have a lot of good fellowship with my coworkers and learn a lot from them. Um, so I wanted to share a story about how I've seen them uh, kind of do workplace ministry. And my main point that I wanted to share is that ministry doesn't only happen in the cracks between work. Like the work itself can also be very much a part of ministry when we approach it in a Christ-like way. And I kind of picture, if I try to imagine Jesus, like before he started his ministry, doing his carpentry, or, you know, Paul doing his tent making or things like that, I, I can't imagine them, um, dang it, I can't figure out how not to say half-ass. I can't, I can't imagine them half-assing it, you know what I mean? Like they can, uh, I've, I feel certain that they were like thinking a lot about delivering something that's really of value to the people that are paying them and like paying attention to the details and really doing their best work, you know? If I picture, you know, Jesus working, I'm sure he wasn't like, eh, it's probably going to break again, but I don't really care. So um, the way that we conduct the work itself can be seasoned with salt and imbued with the aroma of Christ. I know that's kind of an intense, poetic way to say it, but that's the best I've got. <laughs> um, so a story of my coworkers doing this. So one of the guys manages hiring and firing people, and there was a guy he had to fire. And the guy, basically, it was his first job out of college, and he just wasn't working, which just isn't going to work, especially for a small company. And so he fired him, and he didn't have to do this, but he like, sat down and explained to him very clearly why he was being fired. And he's like, hey, man, this is a negative. There's no way about it, or there's no way around it. This is negative. But you can turn it into a positive if you change these things going into your next job. And so that was one thing he did that I thought was really cool. He tried to, like, take it as an opportunity to mentor the guy and help him improve on his next job. And they decided to, like, pay him a severance, even though there was, like, no obligation to do that, just as an act of generosity. And we got a call at the office a couple weeks later from a company that he had applied to that he listed us as a previous employer and wanted 
and had to put them on there, and so they were going to call us. And so this came to the guy that fired him, and they, they was asked, like, what do you want me to do if I get these calls? And he thought about it, and he was like, well, if we, if we talk to them and we're honest with them about what kind of an employee he was, that's not going to help him in his future endeavors. And we don't want the mistakes he made here following him into the rest of his career. So if they call back, let's just ignore their calls. And I was like, man, that's a really like, gracious way to, to handle it. Because the guy also like, made a really bad exit, basically. And it would be easy to be like, oh, man, I don't want anyone else to have to deal with this guy and like, be real, kind of try to hurt his career. But he totally didn't do that. And so, you know, that's just his job, to hire and fire people and other things. Um, but I think he handled it in a way that was really like seasoned with salt and uh, kind of a form of ministry. And so a lot of us aren't in roles where we're doing things like that. And so I thought of some other examples. I would just say, like, dot your I's and cross your T's. And make sure that whoever is downstream from your work finds it in really good order. And like someone, the person that didn't really care about it. Um, take on the tasks that people don't want to do. If there's someone, like a coworker, that's really swamped with work, um, you know, notice that. And if it's within your... Uh, like role, ask if there's anything that you can do that would take some of the load off of them. Be approachable for questions and available to help people. And be of good humor. Something I really like about my job is that the people, like there's a lot of belly laughter like on a weekly basis <laughs> and a lot of running jokes and stuff like that. And it really just improves everyone's quality of life just to be able to have fun. So I would encourage you to like have a good sense of humor about things. And of course it's got to be appropriate to like your role in the company and the kind of work y'all do. Um, but yeah, I think that has a lot of value. That's something I'll look for in any future like job searches to some extent. Um, so yeah, the way that we conduct the work itself can be seasoned with salt and imbued with the aroma of Christ. And ministry doesn't only happen in the cracks between work, but also the work itself as part of the ministry. Um, and so third thing before I leave is that um, Jesus told that parable about the Pharisee who's all impressed with himself because he does everything right, and then the tax collector who beats his chest and asks for forgiveness because he does everything wrong. So with that fresh in your mind, who, has, who else has not yet started memorizing Isaiah 40? Let's get a show of hands. You know, you hear about it every week, and you're like, man, I should do that, and then you forget about it, and then you're reminded next week. So that was me until yesterday. And so I'm trying to play catch-up, and I'm trying to make up for it by bringing some people with me. <laughs> so something I found really helpful for memorizing things is a technique where you make a copy of what you're memorizing, but you reduce it to just the first letter of each word, and then that can kind of be kind of like training wheels to help you memorize without having to go all the way back to looking at the full text. And so I printed out several copies of that with, done with Isaiah 40. So it's one side is the initials, and you can try to practice with that, and the other side, if you need it, is the full text. And the sheet kind of explains it on itself, but there's like 20 of them over on the coffee table. So if you, if you want to jump on that, or if you've been doing it and you want to try a different approach, there's some papers over there for you. And so that's all. All right, uh, Isaiah 40, as always, here we go. Uh, we have a lost and found back there, apparently. A couple little small boxes, some cool treats back there I found this morning. I've already started passing some of them out. Um, lots of cool things to find. Bibles, clothes, uh, jewelry holder back there. Someone even has a California driver's license and a credit card if you're interested. Um, so, yeah, go back and look at the lost and found so that uh, they can not have to have boxes of lost and found. Okay, uh, so we're continuing on in our series. I'm going to make a recommendation for memorization as well, particularly for those of you who are lazy. Uh, and that is what I call the message version memorization method, which is more or less just paraphrasing what's going on so far. So if I were going to do this, it'd be something a little bit like, okay, you know, um, go tell the people gently, comfort, comfort uh, my people. Your sins have been paid for. Uh, your hard service uh, is over. Uh, you've been paid double for your sins. Uh, make clear pathways for the Lord. The mountains will be leveled. Uh, the valleys will be brought up. Um, you know, a voice cries out saying, or he says, what should I cry? What should I say? Say the people are like grass, the flowers, and they're like flowers which fall. 
their faithfulness is like grass and like flowers. And uh, that would get us up to today. So if that's like, uh, you know, if you have a really tough time with memorization, I mean, it's not going to be as helpful for you because you're not going to actually remember any of that uh, later on. But you can at least paraphrase so that you get some sense of where this is uh, moving. In fact, uh, I mentioned last week that I felt like the passage about the grass and all that stuff was kind of an oracle. But as I was doing this message memorization this week, I kind of realized there's a flow to this that I didn't pick up on at first. And as I see it, the flow is God is speaking to his people from afar. And in the section that we're in today, he basically says, what? Go tell the good news. God is here and his reward accompanies him. His recompense accompanies him. All of a sudden, God has been speaking from afar and now is here among his people, speaking those words to them directly. And so why then the section before with the whole flowers and all that stuff? I think primarily because throughout the prophets, you get this idea that people are constantly hearing from a variety of different sources, uh, which are all here today, gone tomorrow. They're insufficient. They're half pictures but only God's word when he comes among us is a complete and whole world word for our entire world and for our lives. And so we're now in this part of the passage where God is here now. And so the, the theme of today or the topic of today, and I only have a few ideas. I had strep throat this week, so most of the week I just spent in bed um, and uh, yeah, watching tons and tons of movies. So I'm sorry if I reference like every movie uh, from that's showing on Sling TV uh, right now. I didn't even know you could get strep. I thought that was for kids, but uh, apparently you can get it as an adult. Uh, so, but I did uh, stay away from people for three days. Um, yeah, I met with Chris this week, and his first question was, "Yeah, uh, you know," uh, or question before we even met up was, "Yeah, I'll meet with you so long as you're not an anti-vaxer." Uh, and I said, "Well." I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I just do essential oils only. <laughs> he didn't know whether to take that serious, so I assured him we have a very, very low tolerance policy around here for anti-vaxxing and things like that. All right, um, so 40, six through eight, our words are here today and gone tomorrow, but his word endures forever. This is exactly what we mean when we talk about absolute truth. Too many of us talk about absolute truth as being a set of ideas or dogmas. Absolute truth is simply God's word endures forever. Jesus says this in his ministry. Uh, kingdoms will pass away. Words will pass away. My words are always true. They always come true. In fact, this was one of the major ways God tells the uh, Israelites in Isaiah to know whether a prophet was coming from him. See if his words prove true. Simple as that. Jesus says this in John 7, you want to know if I'm from God? See if what I say works. Try it out. See if it comes to fruition. And so the key point here is that his word endures forever. And so my topic today is God will heal us completely. Unlike so many of the other uh, sort of half truths, half remedies we get, um, God will heal us completely. You know, there are so many great things to be a part of in our day and age in terms of ideas and movements. Uh, one that uh, I have kind of kept track of over the last about 30, 40 years is the feminist movement, which has been a very healthy and helpful movement at its best. And yet today, feminism is so bifurcated and fragmented and all over the place. It kind of reminds me of this idea that even the best of human wisdom and knowledge and movements at its core are just half-truths and partial truths about how to sort of fix the problems and issues we have. A feminist that I am in no way affiliated with, although I do like to read some of her works, she's a tarot reader, Planned Parenthood in Austin is where she kind of came from. She writes the, uh, or used to write the, the blog, Book Slut. Um, she kind of rails against the neo and popular feminist flippancy towards men. Uh, writing that it's always easier to find your sense of value by demeaning another's value. It's e easier to define yourself as not that rather than to actually do an accounting of your own qualities and put them on a scale. 
I love that idea, not only because she's talking about how insufficient, how modern-day feminism really, you know, is, has become so popular as to mean nothing other than a bunch of men-haters, uh, but I also just love the idea that she talks about it so much easier to define who we are based on what we're not. It reminds me of the guy Jay in uh, This is the End, um, uh, hipster, uh, you know, they're asking him like sort of what does he like, and uh, he basically doesn't like anything. It's, uh, what's the guy from The Office? Um, oh, man, I can't remember this scene. It's not Dwight. It's the actual funny one. Daryl, there you go. You never really remember anybody's name, you know. But he's basically saying, oh, yeah, I'm sure, you know what, so every movie that everybody likes, you don't like, right? So what do you like? And, you know, he bases his whole life around, like, not liking kind of anything. And it reminds me of this. We do this a lot uh, when it comes to uh, sort of carving out our niche, our uh, group of um, ideas that uh, that sort of define us. And yet God is here to, to completely heal us, to complete all of us, not to just give us one thing that sort of defines us. We talked about that a lot in our identity talk uh, last semester. So the best that we have today is a fragment of what God is doing, and his word is what has to sort of uh, overarch all of those other words. But that's really tricky, particularly for a day and age when we really don't know much of scripture. And so many of the words that are spoken to us, we have a faint sense that they might be biblical, but no real certainty that they are. In fact, we try to sort of lump them in as kind of good-sounding biblical ideas. But guys, at the end of the day, the best meaning advice is like a cough drop for strep throat. It's going to make you feel a little bit better, but it's definitely not going to fix the main problem. And sometimes the worst meaning advice is going to be a whole other strain of the sickness. Uh, And so we've got to learn how to, particularly with these deep emotional issues, get back to God's word which is the only thing that will completely heal us, okay? So let's read Isaiah 49 through 10, or if you have it memorized, go for it, and we'll uh, kick this off real quick. Isaiah 49 through 10, if you have it memorized, just, just um, we have mics, yeah? Let's get them around. I mean, you can stand up if you want, but if it takes, less, uh, takes the pressure off you to sit down, that's fine too. I mean, you heard me do my message memorization. We're not trying to impress anybody by memorizing scripture. Just because you memorize it doesn't mean it's in your heart, so... Um, All right. See how brave I am with this. <clears throat> Feel free to prompt, and I'm just doing nine to ten. I'm not that overachiever. Yeah, so nine Brad to ten. Said what Brad said just a little while ago. Up to nine. There we go. You got me covered. <laughs> All righty. Uh, let me prompt myself. You bring good news to Zion. Go to the high mountains. You who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Uh, Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, here is your God. Uh, See the sovereign God who's comes with power and a mighty arm. See he has his reward and his recompense follows him. Something to that effect. Awesome. All right. Go for it. Ready? Comfort, comfort. Yeah. Improv. The whole thing? Yeah, we what? know the whole thing. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Comfort, comfort, comfort my people, people says your God. God. Speak, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling from the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Um, Every every valley valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough rough places shall become level, level. (laughs) the rugged (laughs) places a plain. (laughs) A voice says, oh no, all the people, then the glory Glory of the Lord Lord will be revealed and all all the people will see it together. For the the mouth mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out, and I say, "What shall I cry?" <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All the people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, 
because the, the breath, breath of the Lord blows on them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, we remembered it. <laughs> Surely all the people are a grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And then you know, who proclaim good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. And say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See how the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. He his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Wow. That's awesome. That really is. It really is awesome to be able to memorize that. Uh, that's something that's going to you know, find a pathway into your brain and never leave. So uh, it's uh, important to do. Do more and beyond the message memorization. So uh, in our kind of cognitive uh, behavioral therapy day, psychotherapy day uh, in age, we love to listen to everyone's voice, uh, kind of including our own. Uh, but we often uh, lack a real clear hearing of God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to us, obviously. The Spirit will speak to us in a variety of ways. What's important for us is that we actually have some filter in which to differentiate God's voice from the other voices around us. We've got to have that. Because if the Spirit speaks to us and we attribute it to someone else, we might not take it seriously. And if the Spirit doesn't and we attribute it to Him, we may take it too seriously, right? So we've got to understand God's word to us if we're going to be completely healed of any of the emotional issues that we've talked about so far or that we will talk about. And this is incredibly important, okay? And one of the, the I think, biggest enemies of actually hearing God's word is accepting anything lower than his word to us, some temporary thing, day and age, as good or great as it is, as targeted as it is, as focused as it is, um, without really being able to hear directly from him. The same problem actually kind of repeats or, or happens early on in the scripture when the people don't want to hear God speak directly to them at Mount Sinai. Okay, I want to read that passage to you because uh, if we're honest, I think we aren't just ignorant of how to hear God's word, we often would prefer not to hear it. And if we start there, that can be really helpful uh, for, you know, something that we've got to kind of get over and decide that we're going to, to seek out God's word to us. So in uh, Exodus 20, and you can just listen if you want, uh, this is where we read about the Ten Commandments. But it's got some other stuff in there, particularly uh, after Moses comes down, ready to read the commandments. I'm going to pick up here uh, in 18. So the commandments are, are read. Sorry, I missaid that. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, uh, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance, though, while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So didn't want to hear God directly. They were afraid. It's really kind of tricky to understand if this is a good thing or a bad thing, because multiple times it's used even in that passage as sort of something they shouldn't have been afraid of. They should have understood that God's voice meant, you know, good for them, not harm. But in other passages, like the one we're about to read uh, in Deuteronomy 14, uh, the author, and you know, even attributed to God himself, seems to, to this is sort of like a, uh, a good thing that they were afraid. So I'm not going to go too much into the theology behind it, other than just to say there's something really interesting here uh, regarding God's direct voice to us and how we should respond, how we should think about it. So Deuteronomy 14 uh, excuse me, sorry, 18, verse 14. I'm going to read that. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. 
the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other God is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. And so you have the kind of institution of the prophets, which was not meant to be a good thing. It was meant to be a thing for the time being to, dis- to talk to a people whose hearts were far from God. As the Spirit came to be our counselor and our prophet, that changed. We got God's word you know, spoken to us immediately, and uh, we're in a very different situation. Yet the temptation still to hear a variety of other sorcerers and divinators uh, is still really strong with us so as not to uh, have to hear the, the words of God. So I talked last week about something that I want to bring up again and it will kind of come up throughout, I think, this series. And it's maybe the best practical, I don't know, practical thing I can say for particularly some of you who are pretty young, and that is that we need to respond to our emotions and not just react to them, Okay. Why is that? Well, I want to talk about one thing in particular today. Reacting to our emotions often gets us into big trouble, primarily for this issue of hearing a word from God. When we react, we want quick fixes, quick medicine, get me over this, give me a word that seems like I can use it, something effective. How many of you at the end of a conversation Uh, you know, trying to help someone, well, I hope that helped, as if in the moment, the hour that you just spent was supposed to help them get over something that has spent thousands of hours brewing in their heart and mind. But we expect that, right? So uh, we want those action items. And this is one of the things that I think most uh, gets us into trouble when we react simply to our emotions rather than respond to them. And I'm going to mention what I mean by that in just a little bit. We're desperate for help. So we'll take anything that kind of comes our way and we'll try it. And as long as it fixes the issue or at least makes us ignore the issue for a moment, we move on until it happens again. Failing to see the bigger issues and symptoms of a health problem that we ought to recognize, right? So I get sick, I take medicine, get sick again, medicine, and we do this with our emotions the same way we do it with physical ailments, okay? My dad made a radical transformation about, how long has it been now? Year and a half? Two years now? Three years now? Uh, Where, you know, my dad used to be a guy, like so many guys in, you know, our society, burger, fries, that's what I'm going to eat like every meal, okay? Had some heart issues, they would come, they would go finally kind of went and the doctor was basically medicine or a healthy lifestyle. And he chose healthy lifestyle and has been eating like he, we used to go on trips and eat, you know, junk food uh, at 7-Eleven and quick chip. Now he brings like nuts and prunes and nasty stuff like that, that I can't even possibly eat yet. Uh, Cause I still have teeth. No, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, that was a dig. But those things were moments. And of course the moment kind of came to an ultimatum for him. But those were each moments in health problems uh, that, uh, that, that came that way. I smoke a pipe pretty often, which I probably shouldn't be telling you. I used to smoke cigars a lot more, which I quit. But I, whenever I get a cold or something like that, I mean, my colds were like four or five, six times worse than they were uh, before I ever started smoking. These were moments to inform me, tell me, you've got a bigger issue here. You can't just take a whole bunch of medicine, get over it, and the next time it happens, you've got to make some major life change. It's the same when it comes to reacting to emotions. If we're really going to be healed by God completely, we have got to respond 
to the things that are going on, okay, and not just simply react to them. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. So I watch horror movies. I love them. It's awesome. One of my favorite things about horror movies is just how dumb people are in the movies, right? Their behavior. And it's fun to watch just them do the worst thing that you can imagine them doing, right? But it makes sense for them to be as dumb as they're in because they're undergoing some sort of emotional trauma in the moment and they're not thinking straight, right? They just do the stupidest stuff. People who are, everything seems urgent, everything feels extreme, so they take the quickest route out, which is usually the dumbest thing you could possibly do. You know, let's, hey, let's split up in a, you know, this dark room and make loud noises. Uh, that'll definitely, you know, uh, we'll, we'll work our way out. And there's a lot of funny, funny, funny uh, images, and I was going to show you, but I just didn't have enough time to actually do that, plus I didn't want to. But it's often the stable ones in the movie that are the ones that kind of make it through. Now, not calm always or cool-headed, because I, that's weird. I mean, if, sometimes there's like an apathy mixed into that, like a, I don't even care if I'm going to die, you know, so whatever. I'm talking about the stable ones, the ones that actually kind of can back up, that can respond, that can at least have a 10-second waiting period before they go crazy and immediately die in the horror movie, all right? Uh, from some, you know, old, uh, awful death, that kind of thing. They survive simply because they respond to the situation, meaning, and this is the key here, that the next action isn't destined for them. Responding means that the next action, it isn't, I feel this way and I immediately go out, I react this way. It's almost predictable, right? It's like anger management I learned a long time ago uh, and still haven't been able to practice. All that anger ultimately does is controls you, right? One person does this, you ratchet it up, then you ratchet it up, then you ratchet it up and you're not even in control of your actions anymore. That person's actions are controlling your next move, and then you keep going and going and going. And it's the person that flips it around that has control of their actions. It's actually uh, the one, um, you know, that's responding to the situation rather than reacting. So the whole idea of responding is that your next action isn't destined. You're not some, you know, uh, little em emoji in a head, and your body just goes with it because the emoji guy or whatever decides. I don't remember what that movie's called. Okay, sorry. Inside Out, emotion, emoji. I don't know, guys. I, I, I still have a little bit of Sudafed in my system. So, and steroid and penicillin. Okay. When Jesus... Uh, says in Luke 4.18, I've come to set the captives free. What he's ultimately, I think, talking about is freeing us from so many of those pattern ways of reacting and living in our lives. This happens, I do this. This happens either because my natural inclination is this way, society's expectation for me is this way. I'm setting people free from these predetermined things they do in these situations. That's what he's here to set us free from. It's pretty amazing, uh, actually, as it turns out. I have a little note here that says Suicide Squad. No idea what the reference is, though. <laughs> so if you can find one in that movie, I actually like that movie. I don't know what people really didn't like it. The first half, I particularly liked. I thought it was awesome. I watched it on demand, because uh, they have on demand and sling, I realized this week. How, how they've come to set the captives free, I have no idea. But if you can figure it out, uh, tweet it later. <laughs> I don't, we'll never see that. But he's coming to free us. All right, so how do I learn to respond? I've just got a couple things here, and then uh, we're going to be done. You know, the whole point here is just to kind of get into this idea of responding and reacting. Number one, and this is a little bit technical, I think it's really helpful for you if you recognize uh, that your intensity of emotion doesn't equal the emergency of uh, whatever is going on. Just because I feel intense in this situation doesn't mean that it's like super, super important. So a couple things that you might think through is how immediate, urgent, or emergent is this situation, both in someone I'm ministering to and in this thing that I'm experiencing. Many of us, when we get into kind of a tough state, we want to think everything's immediate. But sometimes it might not be immediate. It could just be urgent, okay? It's not immediate now, but like, you know, next couple days, weeks, let's figure this out. Versus emergent, which is just like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of coming, I sort of know about it generally, but it's not an immediate or urgent thing I've got to, to handle, okay? And this is with people too. Now, that's not to say there aren't immediate things. There absolutely are immediate things. 
When someone has anything, some of you maybe heard the idea of, of suicidal ideations when they begin to think about actually uh, harming themselves and have specific either um, you know, pathways to that or have thought real specifically about how to do it or have weapons and things at home. And that's something that's immediate. But some of us in Crying Wolf often treat every problem we have as an immediate thing to get done. And we do a disservice to people who really do have immediate things they've got to you know, take care of. Now, obviously, the opposite side of that is that nothing is ever immediate or urgent, and everything's just emerging, and you've got people who, you know, have things for four or five years that you learn four or five years later, something's going on, you're like, where were you four or five years ago? How have you kept all of this in? I'm simply just saying that we've got to be careful against reacting to all of those things and learn how to uh, respond. And sometimes the most helpful thing here is that we aren't always a good judge of whether something is immediate, urgent, or uh, emergent. So if we can't decide ourselves, it's really, impo- it's really uh, uh, important to hear from others what they think about it. It's one of the main things about just talking with other people about our emotion difficulties. And I'm not just talking about counselors here, I'm just talking about each other, is they mirror back to us the reality of how important is this issue. Because again, just because I think about it in terms of extreme importance doesn't mean that it necessarily is. Another thing, is this extreme? Is it an outlier or is it just strange? Some of us, again, extreme, an outlier, or just strange, okay? Some of us, uh, you know, we, we kind of uh, disasterize. I don't that's probably not a word, but sounds right. Disasterfies. Disasterfries. Contrastrefries. Uh, <laughs> Things that really aren't near as big of a deal, okay? And vice versa, don't make into catastrophes or call catastrophes when they really are a catastrophe. I could give you tons and tons of examples from uh, emergency management field, natural disasters that people either overreacted to or underreacted to. There's a lot of examples of them. But is this an extreme thing that's going on? Is it sort of just an outlier? Or at the end of the day, is it just sort of strange? Guys, this is kind of a triage methodology here. For at least in your own life and with other people, having some semblance of how to react. Overreacting and underreacting to people's stuff uh, can become, um, or to your own stuff, can, can really uh, put you in a state where you're seeking advice uh, that's uh, really ultimately not that, that helpful for you. Okay? So, immediate, urgent, emergent, extreme, outlier, and strange. Again, if it's hard for you to know, it, actually listening to other people is very helpful. So the question we're answering here, if you've gotten lost and I've already gotten lost, is how do I learn how to respond one of the biggest things that's not in our repertoire anymore as something that we tend to do when we're responding is pausing and reflecting on God's words for a few days. Uh, this doesn't mean we're ignoring our feelings. This doesn't mean that because we read scripture and we feel better three days later, we're like, probably wasn't a big issue. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> we don't treat scripture as a quick fix as a random page turner and my cough drop for strep throat. It's pausing and reflecting on God's words and then being able to really articulate that and talk about that with other people. Because there's no way that we can ultimately identify when someone else is speaking the word of God to us unless we have some background, some foundation in what God's word is to us in the scripture. And too many of us have settled for really, really secondary and tertiary and indirect sources for hearing God speak without having the ability then to really get back to the source of what God is saying. That's why this memorization thing I think is so important for us. And some of us were too quick to offer advice to other people that's not scriptural or not credit it as God's word. And we've got to stop doing that as much because again, it either takes the power away completely when someone thinks it's from someone else or doesn't give them uh, you know, any kind of recourse for going and creating or, or uh, interacting and responding to God themselves. Because then they think they got to come back to you for this great and sage advice that you're ultimately just repeating from what the Spirit's sort of taught you. And some of us simply just have to be better at qualifying some of the things that we're saying as this is my advice, as Paul does in Corinthians, and this is what I see the Scripture really saying. And even that could be very, very helpful, I think. Because at the end of the day, God's presence is what brings the healing. 
All right, he'll surround us with people, surround us with the words, surround us with the spirit and prayer, but God is the one that brings that healing to us, and we have not even one little tiny ability to bring complete healing to another human soul. We've not even been given that ministry. God simply is the one that does that, and no matter how smart or good or experienced you are, uh, again, I want to reiterate the best meaning advice is a cough drop without the Spirit's guidance. The worst meaning is a whole other strain of that sickness. And of course, doing nothing is worth nothing. God's word endures forever. So let me give you just one practical tip before I end here. And this has to do with, it's very, very simple, and it just has to do with words. Uh, listen, speak, and write. Okay? And those, those are things that I think some of us tend to do without much methodology. We just listen. We think, oh, that's natural. Speaking, that's natural. Writing, that's natural. But I want to challenge you to a little bit of a higher level of all three of these things. And just like love is something that we all technically can do, but to be good at it, you have to learn and train and know things. It's the same thing, I think, for listening, speaking, and writing. We've got to learn how to do them and practice them, okay? One of the most important things for me throughout my years, particularly of some of my just more difficult emotional events and issues, has been getting some of the craziness out of my own brain. Inner thoughts are in a bubble untested by reality. And until I bring them out of that bubble, reality doesn't begin to test them. And our God is a God of reality. It's not a dream world. Uh, it's reality, the truth. And bringing those things to bear and letting the truth deal with them is very, very important. Introspection is the enemy of self-absorption as well. When we're absorbed with ourselves, we're in our bubble, we've created our own reality. Introspection is the thing that often gets us and brings us out of that, as Screwtape Letters talks about a lot. Thinking inwardly and being able to bring one of my favorite, favorite, favorite um, proverbs is uh, a man's purposes are deep waters, a man of understanding brings them to the surface. It's just such an important scripture in my mind to remind me that I've got a lot of things internally going on, and if I bring them up to the surface, let them actually see the light, see reality, uh, God can actually deal with them, and I can begin to kind of test them and get them outside of the bubble that is my craziness. So, listen, speak, and write. One of the things that listening, speaking, and writing really does is, number one, it kind of protects us because as other people know what's going on, they can help protect us against ourselves. <laughs> and we can even protect ourselves against ourselves as we sort of realize with speaking certain truths or you know, writing th certain things down that, oh, wait, maybe this isn't as clear in my brain as I thought it was. We get some protection there. We certainly get perspective, which is one of the most important things. And we can begin to process a lot of these, uh, these ideas. So we want to listen to others' ideas, whether that means that you're listening from the perspective of talking to them and trying to help them, or just listening from the perspective of receiving from someone else. How you know you're a good listener is not if you can repeat back, what did I just say? <laughs> That's like how we test everyone's listening, right? Uh, were you listening to me? Yeah, I was listening. Well, what did I just say? And then you repeat back as if that's what listening is. True listening, at least in, in the way that I kind of think about it, is when you listen to someone else's ideas, those ideas are separate from your own ideas. They, they stand as a test, a outward, I don't know, uh, I'm not going to use more medicine lingo here, but an, as an a out thing, something not a part of you. And if that idea is not a part of you, then it stands there just sort of looking over your ideas and looking over your person. A good listener allows other ideas to penetrate their bubble. A bad listener is someone who basically just takes what someone else says, immediately wraps it up into their own brain as if that person never said it, never did anything, and just picks from it what they want to make it their own. Okay? Good listening is about letting other people's ideas, whether that's the word, whether it's someone sitting across from you, whether it's writing, okay? Some of the most terrible, I think, Christian cultural offenses has been to take writings and art and things like that and make it their own without letting the voice just sort of stay there 
and stand over and, and apart, uh, I think that's uh, not so good. We speak often to clarify thoughts. You know, it's so important when I use my words to, to try to articulate and string things together, how the stream of conscience that once seemed like it was, wow, that was a great idea, uh, comes out and you're like, that was the opposite of a great idea. That was a bad idea, okay? It's amazing. How many of those have you had? You thought this would be really great, and then you spoke it, and it's like, hmm. That, I mean, I get that opportunity every week, writing sermons, right? You know, in the middle of the week, I'm thinking, that's a great idea. That's going to land hard. And then I speak it, and I'm like, well, okay. So we speak, and that helps clarify a lot of our thoughts. And we can, we can really help understand. We can listen to people, figure it out. And, you know, writing to me helps record a time and a moment. A lot of us need to start writing again more often than we do. And I don't just mean note-taking. I don't just mean fastidious, fastidious note-taking. Some of you, I've seen your notes, and they're like every word. Like, what's wrong with you, man? Uh, note-taking is about like important points that you think you're going to manageably remember, remember and then go back later and look at, and have, there's going to be some significance to them. Not like you're like a stenographer. Is that right? Some of you are like stenographer note-takers, you know? Like, what? How are you? That's going to be helpful later on, okay? Don't do that. Uh, and some of you are just not note-takers at all. You just sit here doing absolutely nothing, your brain blank, and you'll take nothing away from this. You just wasted like 30 minutes of your life. What are you doing here, okay? Writing <laughs> helps locate us in a time and a moment, okay? It helps us, you know, remember what we're thinking during that time. What am I experiencing? What would make sense in the context of why I wrote that stupid thing that I wrote? Who was I talking to this week about my dumb poem, a depression poem? I thought it was someone in this room. My really bad depression poem that, that uh, Grant made me write back when he was onto this whole professors or PhDs writing poems or something. Uh, so I wrote this terrible, it was Beckwillet. Where are you, Beckwillet? Okay, let's wait for him. <laughs> Knock on it, Tom, come on. No, just sorry, sorry. <laughs> Wrong person to ask to do that. Uh, so yeah, I wrote this really bad poem. And, uh, you know, it was significant to me because at the time I was really struggling with depression. This was before I started taking medicine. medicine. And, you know, you know you're really terrible at writing poetry if it, like, all rhymes. Uh, so <laughs> this is one really good, you know, tip. If you have rhyming poetry, you're not good at poetry. But you record a time and a moment, and that, uh, that becomes very important to you. Uh, so guys, you know, this is just a, uh, I think, primer on talking about um, addressing emotional issues and difficulties with each other. Uh, we talked this morning in our leadership group just about the difference between being a counselor and being a friend. And we don't need to be counselors to each other. We don't have to control conversations or pretend like we know a lot about things we don't know anything about. We often just talk as friends talk. doesn't mean that we have to have closure. It doesn't mean that we have to say sage advice at the end. Some, the best advice often is prayer and seek God, and then for us to actually seek God too with you. And so one of the main reasons we wanted to do this sermon series because we want people to start talking more and more to each other and dealing with some of the emotional stuff that many of us carry around. And whether that's people in your workplace, whether it's people in our community, we want to be trained in speaking this enduring word to each other so that God can really heal us from so many of the kind of moderate and sometimes more severe emotional issues that all of us just carry around. A healthy church is a church where people know each other enough to deal with emotional issues and to deal with them ahead of time, and to prevent crazy stuff going on, and for us to just be honest about that kind of stuff. We know each other well, and uh, we're small for a reason, and that's one of the real great uh, things about that, that smallness. So hopefully you'll take that as a challenge as we continue on in these talks uh, to really don't miss opportunities to talk to people. It's painful. Don't miss opportunities to, to share, to listen, uh, and uh, yeah. Okay, so we'll do questions like we normally do. Last week, uh, some of you said I was a little bit dismissive of your questions. I apologize. I really didn't mean to be dismissive. They were just so tough. Uh, the nice thing about when we do sermons that are specific is the questions are kind of specific. But last week, all we did was just like a panel interview thing, and it brought up a lot of stuff, so there was no way I could answer all those questions. So I was not dismissive. The questions were excellent. 
Uh, just sometimes it's just too hard to answer a question that for me is going to be like a sermon. Uh, and we're going to do more of these panel things, interviews. We've got a lot of people coming from the original OG crew uh, of UNT TWU ministry that are going to come. And, uh, and we're going to do interviews and panels and stuff like that. So try your best if you can to keep your topic somewhat related to the sermon, if you can. Your questions, yes. Justin, go for it. Um, so you talked about introspection and how we need to learn how to do this. Uh, but I am someone who is too introspection, too introspective at times, right. and I end up overthinking things and end up getting in this endless cycle of just thinking about things repetitively. And yeah. so I'm, I'm just wondering where the balance is. Like, yeah. what is too much? Like, just... I was wondering if you could speak Well, of on course, that. it's you know, different for different people, but introspection can be, and I should say it can be the enemy of self-absorption, but it also can be a pathway for self-absorption. If you, all you do is think introspectively about yourself all the time, uh, you're going to be pretty self-absorbed. I think for me, all I can speak to is my own kind of balance there, and when I have the same reoccurring thought five or six or seven times that I've never communicated to anybody and that I've never sought guidance for in the Word or from God, that's when I know that this is becoming a, you know, a, a clanging symbol in my head. Does that make sense? So if I'm reiterating the same thing over and over and over again, and it's not gotten out anywhere, that's too much introspection in my mind. Uh, it's just too much. You've got to actually bring that out uh, and, uh, and talk to people about it. Okay. Great. Boom. Write it down. <laughs> Any others? Are we good? Yeah, back up. Okay, so on your second point, you were like, is this extreme, an outlier, or just strange? That didn't make sense to me. Okay. And I was wondering, like, were you talking about, like, an emotion you're feeling or, like, a problem? And maybe if you could give an example of, like, each one of those. Yeah. Uh, no. But I can't give an example. That would take too much time. But I think the, uh, the, the idea is simply that one of the important points in dealing with emotions, in my mind, is being able to determine how normal is what I'm feeling. And I may think of something as being very extreme, that in reality, and there's some subjectivity to this, but I don't think a whole lot, uh, what in reality is actually pretty strange, but not extreme. It's not crazy. It's something that I could tell you four or five other people I've worked with in the last month that have the same experience, you're thinking of it as extreme because you've not met anyone or talked to anybody with the same issue or whatever else, or the same problem, and so you've catastrophed it, fries it uh, in your mind, right? And I think that's more common than the other, which is, this is something I just think is strange, and I'm like, no, 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 sorry, this is extreme, and you're experiencing extreme something, something needs to happen as a result of that. So it's, it's helpful both in our own introspection, but I think in particular, remember I, I said one of the things is really helpful for other people to weigh in on that. Um, because sometimes it's just an outlier. It's somewhere in the middle. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, it's not great, but it's also like not the weirdest thing that's ever happened. Uh, because we live in our bubbles, we often don't have much of a comparison to, you know, think, well, how weird is this? How, you know, I, I have a real tough time, guys, giving examples because I have a terrible memory. And my examples will be from the last like two weeks. And that's all fresh stuff that I don't want anybody in the room to like be like, oh, he's sharing about me without my permission. So, uh, so sorry, I try my best to kind of keep some of that like, yeah. But does that help somewhat? Kind of, yeah. Guys, there's a lot of people who've gone to counseling and some people who counseled and some people who've studied this. If any of you want to talk or share or speak, because I'm not an expert here at all, okay? You're more than welcome to. Please, if you hear me saying some really weird stuff or have a time, you know, where you want to interrupt and, and say something, please do. All right, one more, and then we'll, uh, we'll be good. Yeah. Who's what, huh? Okay. We can do yeah. two. So you've been talking about emotional responses, correct? I'm on the right wavelength. Uh, responding to our emotions, which is a give and take, not a predetermined action, versus just reacting to them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you mentioned in your previous lessons anything about the stress response to what you're dealing with? I haven't. We haven't really gotten that technical at all. In fact, we will in a couple of weeks when we do some actual counseling stuff. Okay. That's all I want to uh, I'm going to bring Chelsea and Vianette, and then I have a, a one other deal for a talk deal. But there is some really great... Um, 
resources out there, particularly for uh, the physical effect of emotions and stress. In fact, we even have an audio that we've passed around a little bit. Okay, that's good. a great one if you're interested okay. in it. The body is, uh, we tend to think of emotions as uh, mind, but if you remember the intro to the series, the whole word emotion came from a movement of body, motion. It's your body moving somewhere. So if you don't feel something in your body when you have emotions, uh, maybe you're, you're uh, what? If you don't feel something in your body when you have emotions, that's, that's what you feel like. If you don't, you're probably an extremely weird person. Kind of like Ryan, who doesn't have an inner monologue. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's not write that one down. Chelsea says that's not appropriate. I mean, it's not correct. All right, one more real quick. Listen, oh, man. Listen, I'm just, like, rather confused. Um, okay. So, like, are you suggesting or when you were saying, like, the people who survive scary movies or whatever are people who take a second to not respond, right? Is that that's what you take said? Take a second not to react, but not they do respond, okay. meaning that there's some, yes. some in the midst of this, like, crazy situation ability to just pause and not do the next predetermined step, which is gonna be like, you know, the worst case scenario. So then like, what happens if you're in a moment with somebody and you're like, they like say something and you're like, uh, uh like you just sit there for a second and are like, let me take a second to think about this. And then I- So important. Gosh, really? so important, yeah. Okay, I never well, react. I just outed myself. I never <laughs> react. No, 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 y'all, we have this, this mentality that I think expediency is more important than quality, and that's not right at all. Okay. That's Sometimes I have conversations with people where I'm like, ah, it's rare, but I just don't have anything to say to that right now. I've got to really think about that, and uh, is that okay? I mean, do you need, you know, this, you know, do we have to talk about this, like, right now? It's, it's rare, but I think for some of us, particularly who haven't had as many of those conversations, I think it's really important for you to do that. I think one of the things I was trying to t train this morning uh, the, um, some of our leaders on is we tend to try to wrap things up really quickly within like an hour, uh, hour time frame. Uh -huh. Guys, again, think about how silly it is to think that in a couple conversations we can have any impact and effect on someone that's been processing and developing these things for thousands of hours. Oh. We've got to stop thinking that we're going to have some great you know, thing to do, say, and sometimes Christians can be the worst in this because they think by quoting scripture and giving a verse without context, without much, you know, affirmation or sensitivity, this is just going to fix everything. Yeah. But what if, you know, part of the way that we set people up to hear from God is by not giving them our silly wisdom and advice and praying that the Spirit will actually lead and guide both us and them, and then actually trusting God to do something about it. Oh. What, an, what a crazy idea. Oh, so you're trying to change the current culture of which a lot of us have been. Oh, I'm not in. accusing anyone. I'm just saying I'm that's not just general Americans. Either, we, oh, we want, we want quick, effective methods, right? We yeah, want yeah, quick yeah. stuff. We Who want something it? I can walk away with. I can post up. And uh, on, you know, a board, and then the next time I deal with it, I'll just go get new advice. It's the cough drop mentality to yeah. uh, fixing emotional problems. Yeah. All right, guys, okay. well, we're kind of uh, running out of time, so um, that's going to be it for the question stuff. But always, you can talk to me, and, and uh, we, can, uh, we can discuss those after. We're going to take communion now. Uh, and, um, you know, I would just uh, remind you of how much Jesus cared about how people feel. You just think about what he did, where he was. Uh, he just cared. He cared. He wasn't this sort of like, I'm going to give you the truth and you're going to deal with it kind of person. So much of, of the way he interacted with people, talked to people, uh, you could tell he, he really did uh, care about how they felt. And uh, I challenge you to read that uh, uh, into the scripture, even though in a day and age, the, the communication style was much more... Um, harsh than ours because there's no no pc kind of stuff going around no like uh not as much tact uh, as we positive we, we think that's a positive word some of you uh who uh, come from other countries and things you know this a little bit better than some of us do so lord god thank you for bringing your reward with you i pray that you would be here the rest of this series uh make clear to us how you want to heal us emotionally from trauma, from just the moderate dullness of um, unmet expectations and just the stress uh, that we face every day. 
even through our worship today, God, will you manifest yourself in your spirit uh, in a healing presence among us? Help us to really look at Jesus to determine what emotional health looks like. Help us to be less two-dimensional, happy and sad, and um, really embrace uh, the emotions that you've created within us so that we can go deeper, respond, become the kind of people you want us to be. I just take this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.